So a few years ago, Allison, my wife, and I were doing what people without children typically do on a Saturday morning. We were laying in bed watching infomercials, trying to figure out what we were going to do for the day. Infomercials have a special place in my heart because they have a very great way of explaining how unimpressive my life is and at the same time offering a quick solution to fix the deficiency revealed through the salesperson according to this woman who was speaking to us on our television and it was obvious that she was too well put together for this to be a live presentation According to her, the Keurig coffee maker that she was peddling on that Saturday morning would revolutionize the way that our family enjoyed our morning coffee. Like many of you, when Allison and I became real adults and we had real adult jobs, coffee became a mainstay for us to start the day and get through the day. As many of you can testify to, the traffic in Northern Virginia and D.C. may require you to have a cup of coffee or 12 just to get the day going. A little extra pep in your step as you settle in at your desk for a day at work, waiting for your boss to show up and surprise you with a new opportunity for you to work on. And now that we have kids, we've learned that coffee, a cup, or 12 in the morning helps us keep up with our kids who seem to have mutant or superhero energy as soon as the sun comes up in the morning. Allison and I hadn't yet welcomed children into our home, but this smooth-talking, easy-on-the-eyes saleswoman had us both hook, line, and sinker. Of course we need to have more energy in the morning. We might have kids eventually. This product, this coffee maker, will change our lives. Allison and I were convinced that this new coffee maker, as the saleswoman put it, would revolutionize the way that we made coffee and thus revolutionizing our lives. And let's be honest, who doesn't want to have their life revolutionized? The burdensome manner with which we had been brewing coffee was old, antiquated, and frankly, just inadequate for two young professionals who were making their mark on the world while living and working in the most powerful and influential city in the world. So we are just a few weeks away from the end of the summer, and we're beginning to wrap up this simply put sermon series where we are just examining the scriptures simply, with simplicity. Often people like me try to make you do theological backflips to understand what the texts are saying to us on a Sunday morning. And a few weeks ago we began looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, and last week we were back in Luke, and we've been flip-flopping between the two books this summer. And so two weeks ago, Paul explained to the church that the humanity of Christ was intimately connected with the Christ's divinity. Paul told us and told the ancient church that God fully dwelled in Christ, thus fully revealing God to all of creation. Everything that we know about God, Paul wrote, 
had been revealed to us through Christ's birth, through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection. Prior to Jesus, this full revelation, this full connectedness of God to humanity had not occurred. And so Paul told the ancient church and continues to tell us today that anything we say about God cannot contradict the revelation of God in Christ. And for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, that is our starting point for understanding our relationship with God. And so our reading this morning continues Paul's letter to the ancient church. And he's addressing the church and addressing the influence that philosophy and human tradition had had on the life of the ancient church. Paul's critique of ancient theological, philosophical thinking centered on the idea that living a blessed life meant that you lived at peace, living at peace with creation through moral mediators like wisdom and the law. It had been suggested to the ancient church that if they fell out of peace with creation, meaning that they weren't living or adhering to moral law, then they would fall into the category of evil or wrong, which would then in turn bring them out of God's favor. Favor with God, being in favor with God, was everything to the ancient church and to their Jewish counterparts Favor with God is a saying that we take for granted today. However, God's favor not only placed you into the category of righteous, but God's favor also ensured prosperity for you at, during your life, but then also for your descendants to come. Remember, it was thought that the sins of the parents would be repaid to the following four generations So falling out of God's favor had huge implications, not only for your life, but for the life of your future offspring. And as we revealed through the rich fool last week, family money ensured not only that your name would carry on for future generations, but that the blessing of your family would carry on for future generations. From a practical perspective, if one in one person or group becoming evil or wrong in the creation of that category we then create another category good and right the evil and wrong person are now placed in the bad side of the two factions created i'm good and right because i'm on this side i still find favor with God, and you, the evil or wrong person, are separate. And because I am with God, you are now at risk of being separated from God. The good or right versus evil and wrong, that keeps us focused on how great we are and how bad those people are, keeping us forgiven and free and them guilty and unable to be forgiven and reconciled with God. They need to do fill-in-the-blank whatever to correct, repent, and atone according to the things that we have determined need to be done to live your best life because they have not been faithful to our gospel. The problem faced, though, by the ancient recipients of Paul's letter and by us today is that our gospel, the gospel of Tear Hardy, 
or the gospel of anyone other than Jesus Christ is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has freed all of creation from moralism and inviting all of us, all people, to step into the grace of God. Paul's philosophical opponents missed that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ did not create a do-it-yourself, a DIY faith. What was needed from God's perspective had been done through Christ, and Christ confirmed as much with his last words on the cross. It is finished. So it's not so much what would Jesus do, but rather it's what Jesus has already done for us and for all of creation. With every infomercial that I have ever watched, and I'm up late at night because for some reason I can't sleep, and so I watch a bunch of them, whatever appliance is being sold, there is a do-it-yourself, improve-your-life aspect to the sales pitch. The Keurig coffee maker will not only make you the best cup of coffee, it'll do it quicker and easier than you could have ever imagined, thus revolutionizing your life, improving your quality of life exponentially. There are pressure and rotisserie cookers that promise you a well-fed, healthier family without any of the back-breaking work from their perspective that comes with cooking, you know, in an oven or, you know, on a stove like weird people. I know all of you Instapot owners are going to tell me after the service that the Instapot has revolutionized your life, and I can't wait to hear about that. But in Christ, we are closer to God than humanity had ever been before. And there's no quick fix. There's no easier way to get there. There's no do-it-yourself improvement that will give you different results. There's no three-step process to get there. A friend of mine, his name's David Zoll, he's an author and pastor. He lives in Charlottesville. He refers to this desire for a quick fix in our relationship with God, searching for moralistic salvation through means apart from Jesus Christ. David refers to this as seculosity. Yes, you have faith in Christ, but have you done this? Zoll contends that our chase for enoughness in the eyes of God, in the eyes of them, that in our chase for that enoughness that we default to moralistic performances, things like eating the right stuff or dating the right way, or parenting our kids, voting one way or another, and we do this to find fulfillment, and thus we think it will make us more righteous in the eyes of God. Paul confirmed for the Colossians that in clothing ourselves in Christ, clothing ourselves as we exited our baptismal waters, that that new life that we put on, that is sufficient. As we clothe ourselves in Christ, Christ has made us part of his new creation. The inclusivity of this new creation has absolutely nothing to do with our own actions. It has nothing to do with the labels that we place on ourselves or the labels that we place on others. Rather, this inclusivity of the new creation has everything to do with that which Christ has already done. As he said, it is finished. The do-it-yourself faith Paul is writing to correct calls us away from 
quick fix solutions and points us towards the grace and mercy of Christ, telling us that the work of Christ was sufficient and continues to be sufficient today. Paul was calling the ancient church away from revolutionized human teachings, three quick and easy steps. And Paul was calling them and thus calling us back to living a life of extravagance, extravagant grace, extravagant compassion, and extravagant mercy. So simply put, the foundations of our faith, it is not something we do and it's not something that we ourselves accomplish The foundation of our faith is someone, someone who accomplished that which we could never do from ourselves. Christianity is not do-it-yourself. Christianity is discipleship, meaning that we are following Christ, and in doing so, we acknowledge and hold on to, we hold on to Christ's reconciling work that we, us, and them, we were unable to accomplish for ourselves. In saying it is finished, Jesus told the church everything necessary for salvation, everything has already been accomplished. There's no lacking in the relationship between God and humanity. Nothing else needs to be done. There's no conditional 30-day money-back guarantee. There's no try before you buy, and there's no bait and switch. This is not a pyramid or a get-rich-quick scheme. There's no amount of QVC Bible verse artwork that you can hang on your wall that will find you more favor with God. What was required to live a revolutionized and best life possible, that has been done. There's no amount of adhering to the law based on scripture or based on moralism that is necessary. Because of Christ... And because we live in Christ now, our sins have been forgiven. We have been made righteous by Christ's faithfulness. And all that is left to do is to enjoy, to live in the extravagance of God's grace, compassion, and mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen.